you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. Studios. From LA Studios, this is How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. And I'm Evan Jacoby, a producer on the show. This is the final episode in our series about mutual aid volunteers and the resources they provide for unhoused communities throughout LA. If you haven't heard parts one, two, and three, those episodes are a bit further down in our feed. We had three main questions for this series. In episode one, we asked what mutual aid actually looks like throughout LA. The answer we came up with is that these groups act like a band-aid, covering gaps in immediate-term services. We met up with two groups. One that mainly offers harm reduction tools, things like clean needles and Narcan, for people living in palms, and one that mainly offers water to people living in Skid Row. In episodes two and three, we asked our second question. Why do so many people rely on the mutual aid band-aid for services? We looked at some of the resources provided by local government agencies and how the big push from the city is temporary housing, like the mayor's Inside Safe program. The idea is that it would be easier to access other resources if people are at least inside and off the street. But when we visited a motel, we still saw residents getting food and harm reduction resources from volunteers. Today, for our fourth episode, question three. What kinds of things can we all do to help unhoused people in our communities? Episode four being a better neighbor. There are dozens of mutual aid groups throughout the city. Some of them are nonprofits. Some of them are unofficial groups of volunteers. Some people use their own money. Some people rely on donations from the public. Some people get refunded by government programs. And some do all three. We've been talking about this for a long time. Four weeks in the podcast feed, more like two and a half, three months from our reporting side. So today is going to be a bit of a debrief. Brian, I wanted to actually start, something you mentioned to me and Dindy a couple of weeks ago was that there was somebody who was living on your street, um, sort of at the end, like where it dead ends, and you had a conversation with the person that you'd never had before. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, actually, there's been unhoused folks uh, in different places in my area. There's a cul-de-sac at the end of the street, and there are people living in their cars. And to be honest, I was didn't feel quite safe because there were always, you know, whether it's loud music or loitering, trash, and just 
things seemed busy and a lot of visitors would come by and I just didn't know who they were honestly and I didn't feel so safe walking my small dogs at night sometimes and then recently this one other neighbor moved in into um callejón. how do you say that callejón? an alley uh-huh. Um, and I use that alley to go to the supermarket around the corner. Um, this is an older gentleman. I see him, you know, gathering things, also cleaning up things in the alley. And as we started reporting this series out, going to Skid Row, interviewing people in their tents or in their communities, one day I finally just said hello and asked him about his day. And he was very friendly. And I started to think about more ways to connect with our unhoused neighbors, people literally living on the street I live on, and even this person who had just moved into the alley next to me. I think it's really easy, though. Like, at first you were, like, a little annoyed or or felt a little unsafe, maybe. Oh, yeah, when I had just moved in. Yeah, and I think that's, honestly, it's totally fair because the unfortunate reality of the situation is that a lot of, there are a lot of, people who live unhoused in Los Angeles. We're talking about tens of thousands of people. Some of those people are dangerous to themselves, to other people. That is part of this experience, as part of this story. And, you know, frankly, nobody knows that more than other unhoused people who are often the victim of violence uh, in, in those kinds of situations. But, you know, I don't think that you're a bad person for feeling fearful. I think it's a really good thing, though, that it inspired you to kind of want to learn more about who they are. And I think that that's a really good way of bridging that gap when you're afraid of something is to just try to understand it better. And so saying, hi, I live here. My name's Brian. Um, You know, what's your name is like such a good way to ease that kind of tension, I think. You know, not 100% of the time, but sometimes. And, and it sounds like in your case. Yeah. All right, Evan, I want to ask you, you know, you came up with this idea of, about mutual aid groups. And then I think as you started reporting out, you saw how messy it is to deal with the crisis of homelessness in L.A. There's so many facets and there are many plans involved here to tackle this issue. What did you learn as a reporter on this project? You know, it's funny because that (laughs) breadth of the problem that you're talking about was very much, it kept snowballing. Everybody that we talked to who either currently or previously had experienced homelessness really had completely different reasons for it and needed different things. And, you know, we, we say homelessness is not a monolith. We say that right at the end of episode one. But, like, you could know that and still be kind of surprised by it. And it, it really felt like every single story, every person that we met um, had a completely different experience of this. And I guess that really also just complicates things so much for anyone who's an official capacity like a government person who is trying to take on this crisis it's really hard to deal with it in broad strokes when the solution that you put forth might be perfect for person one and terrible for person two and person three never even hears about it 
as you talk about this idea of understanding a little bit of how government officials deal with things and and think about things i'm also very reminded that homelessness is a health and humanitarian crisis it's not necessarily just financial infrastructure it's a lot to do with the personal needs of one person Mm -hmm. and the folks who volunteer at water drop la also have their own stories of why they do it like aria who leads uh, water drop la in skid row that's after the break. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish. Rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events. Welcome back to How to LA. Throughout our reporting, we asked our sources what they felt is the ideal relationship between mutual aid work and government services. The ideal, of course, would be that we have a strong working relationship with the council district. Up first is Aria Catano. She's the founder of Water Drop LA, a group we profile in episode one. They go to Skid Row every Sunday with about 2,500 gallons of water and distribute them across the entire neighborhood. We do prefer to work with them rather than be adversarial because at the end of the day, they have the resources and we are happy to help them figure out how to allocate those resources. We want council members to know that we are there to help help them understand what they can do to better address people's needs. Um, However, it shouldn't be necessary. That shouldn't be a stilt that the government relies on. At the end of the day, you know, these are a lot of students. They are young people who are trying to work towards their own futures as well. And so to put that burden of providing a city service, what should be a city service, which is providing water, right? Um, it, it's really sad. I have a lot of hope for my generation because I, I think that we really do see the holes in our government system, we see the holes in um, our current leaders, and we want to fix them, we want to patch them up. And so that gives me hope, but it's also very sad to me because at the end of the day, we should not be accepting this as, you know, the status quo. We shouldn't be accepting this, period. We also asked this question to Councilmember Nithya Raman. Like we mentioned in episode two, she has a background in mutual aid, and she founded the nonprofit SELA Neighborhood Homeless Coalition. Even if the government were able to do better in terms of providing basic services like water access or food access to people who are experiencing homelessness, 
I think there is a really important role that mutual aid groups play or volunteer groups play in this ecosystem. And one of the things that was kind of transformative about my work at SELA was that when people came to volunteer, their approaches to homelessness would change. When they came in and they engaged with someone who was experiencing homelessness, they got to know them over time. It helped to break down some of those myths around service resistance. It also helped to make the volunteers into advocates themselves for policy solutions that really worked. I think that spirit of volunteerism was community taking care of itself, but it's also a way of thinking about how we care for one another that can be transformative for government. It is a very dynamic interplay between government agencies and mutual aid, and, and ideally they can be complementary. This is Professor Ben Henwood. He's the director for the Center of Homelessness, Housing, and Health Equity Research at USC. He said that aside from having less bureaucracy to deal with, the main benefit mutual aid groups have is trust. If you're talking about groups that incorporate people with lived experience, they generally are able to identify the gap that they're trying to, to fill and are able to, to do that. Where I think government, sometimes the promises that have been made in the past have not met expectations. And so issues of like just basic trust that the offer that people are hearing about, you know, what they can access, they they may not believe. And I think that's something that if you, you've lived it and you've experienced it and you're sensitive to it, you understand that this is an engagement process that might take time. But if you're kind of designing this on paper or you haven't experienced that, you might just write somebody off and say, well, I asked them and they said no. So that's sort of the case closed end of story. Professor Henwood said that a lot of mutual aid groups have more of a peer perspective, whether from people who are formerly unhoused or just people who have one-on-one, face-to-face relationships with unhoused people. And that peer perspective can make it a lot easier to offer certain services. Of course, there are a lot of services that are still really difficult for mutual aid groups to provide. When we talked to mutual aid volunteers, we asked them what some of the hardest parts are about doing volunteer work in unhoused communities. This year alone, I can think of five or six people who I knew very well um, who died in Los Angeles on the streets. But if I extend that to people who knew people, yeah, the average is, is close to six a day. Here's Dindi Kitonga, the founder of one of the other mutual aid groups we profile in the series, Palms Unhoused Mutual Aid, or PUMA. Part of mutual aid, and I'm sorry to get bleak, is We've been made into reluctant funeral directors, and I can't tell you how many vigils or strange little let's get together and mourn together, which was something um, when we started Puma, I didn't realize that that would be a regular thing that we do. What I will say about people who are curious about what to do and care and don't know how to get involved, I always just say, kind of get to know your neighbors. It doesn't need to be on a huge scale, but if there's just one individual 
who kind of lives close to you and you can tell that they have um, that they're in house where they just simple respectful mutual conversation is helpful and you'll start to get to understand not only the bigger structural issues but actual the individual issues and concerns that person has and how and why it is that they live on your particular street so I encourage you like just get to know one person and then you'll know a bunch of people something something that impacted me also in this reporting was people just being honest about the homelessness crisis and how I feel like at least I grew up with it. Like I, I grew up knowing about Skid Row and actually going to Skid Row to do some volunteer work through church. I feel like my LA is the epicenter of homelessness. Do you feel like you can imagine an LA, a city, our city, because you grew up here too, as a place without homelessness at all? I just want to unpack that for a second. because <laughs> So you're saying like the way that you have experienced Los Angeles since childhood, it's been tied to the existence of homelessness. It's been so pervasive that that's always been kind of somewhere on the like back burner of your LA. Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, getting off the freeway, you always see somebody with a sign that says I'm hungry. Um, spending time downtown, you always will walk by drive by or bus by somebody who is in a tent or whatever. Like it's very baked into, I think our understanding of what LA is, which is probably like a psychological factor mm. that makes it harder to combat because <laughs> mm. it's like if you're going into this with the understanding that that's just how things are it probably has an impact on your sense of urgency if we've always had a skid row and you know there's been tents on your street since you your first memories as a kid and now you're in your 40s why does this need to be solved tomorrow <laughs> you know but um, no, I don't know if I've ever imagined an L.A. without homelessness. And I think that's kind of sad. Uh, I don't really know what to do with that information. or It's not a very good answer to your question. But do you feel like now that you've done this reporting, you see how like maybe, yes, government officials, mutual aid groups, nonprofits, other government agencies, and maybe even us Angelinos who live here, who work here, hmm. have to own a little bit of this crisis. I think it's really easy to feel kind of hopeless. Um, I've experienced that. I think a lot of people that we've talked to throughout this reporting have experienced that. Like, I was thinking about the other day, I was walking in my neighborhood near Pan Pacific Park. There's a man who lives uh, in front of the library there. And when I passed him, you know, he asked if I had any cash and I didn't, but I offered to get him a snack. I went to the 7-Eleven that's at the end of the block. Um, I think I got him like a sandwich and a Coke or something like that. You know, nothing major, but I'm thinking in my head like, oh, I'm doing a nice thing for somebody. Mm -hmm. 
on the way to the 7-Eleven, I passed another woman who was unhoused. After I bought the stuff, I passed another man who was unhoused. I didn't give either of them a sandwich or a Coke. And when I gave, you know, even to this guy, it's like the next day, he was still there and he's still hungry. And so it feels sometimes you're throwing little drops in the bucket, fighting this giant fire that's all around us. And it, and it, <laughs> it can feel like you're not really able to do anything. And I think that's one of the things that's so inspiring maybe about these mutual aid people is I guess power of numbers alone or or maybe the power of consistency but they're getting together at the same time and day every week and they're going out and they're distributing stuff and like the water drop LA people they cover literally the entirety of Skid Row that's four square miles and like what, like 2,500 people mm-hmm. um, so you know that's if you took one of those people it's okay that one person maybe gave a few gallons of water out but that's like 2,500 gallons of water a week when you look at it you know as a group I think one of the other big takeaways from the government side, you know, when we talk to people like Aria, some of the other volunteers, a lot of them really wanted to have like more opportunities for community input when, you know, the city government or LASA or the county have funding for a new project you know, doing that community outreach, talking to unhoused people or volunteers who may work with them, neighbors who might be housed, who live in the same community. When we talked to Nick Gerda, our unhoused communities reporter at LAist, he was saying, you know, that's kind of not an approach that's historically been very involved. But he also said that it's something that is being introduced more and more. And I think that's like, not something I was really expecting to hear when we went into this, but I think it is a big piece of like hopefulness for future solutions. And if you want to get involved, you listener listening to Haudole, mutual aid resources are in the show notes. Or if you see someone who looks like they need help and you want to help them, try asking them what they need. Start off with one question and maybe your name. My name's Kelvin Alvarez. I'm a volunteer here with Waterdrop. One of the most meaningful parts about Waterdrop for me is just that everyone here are people who will give their time on a Sunday to look out for community members, to look out for homies who have unfortunately been disenfranchised by the system, who are underserved, and this is a way where we can give back and we can help out each other. Harole is hosted by me, Brian De Los Santos. Our series on mutual aid is produced by Evan Jacoby. Our other team members include Victoria Alejandro, Megan Botel, Monica Bushman, and Erica Washington. Our intern is Tony Morales. Production support from Jens Campbell. Our executive producer is Megan Larson. We had additional editorial support for this series from Catherine Mailhouse, our director of content development, and Sheena Naomi Krokmal the Vice President of Podcasts at LA Studios. Studios. 
Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.